You pour your heart into your business, you give to your clients, and you take care of your family and your community. And you put off taking care of yourself. When you only focus on doing, you bottle up your emotions, which taxes your body and depletes your energy. You struggle to show up, to keep up, and to create results. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross. About 10 years ago, I burned out of the only career I thought I'd ever have. I got divorced, and I was crushed with chronic illness and pain. Now I have a business that I love, a husband I can grow with, and my health is on track. Through the power of coaching, I have come to recognize the resilience and power I carry within my soul. You have this resilience and power as well. Welcome to Inflow with Soul, where we create the space for playful restoration. Space to pause, to play, and to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Hello, everyone, and thank you again for tuning into this episode of In Flow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today we're speaking with Jennifer Colwell. Jennifer created Entry Envy. Entry Envy was founded by Jennifer Lee in Omaha, Nebraska, to help others create a welcoming entry with simplicity and convenience that also identified their home for their guests and delivery drivers. Her inspiration came after remodeling her own home and had outdated and hard-to-read house numbers. Jennifer's house is filled with love, two daughters, a dog, a red-footed tortoise, two guinea pigs, and a fish. Quite a menagerie you got there. She has 20 years of experiencing managing professional service firms, a bachelor's and a master's degree in business, and her mission is to help empower more young women to consider the trades as a noble profession. Jennifer, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This is a great opportunity. Yeah. Good. So, um, Jennifer, let's start talking a little bit about just kind of your path to becoming an entrepreneur. As we heard here in your uh, bio that you've been doing something else for quite some time. So talk to me a little bit about what you were doing and and what this transition has been like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's so interesting, the, the path that our life leads us down. Um, and it's always maybe different than what you think it might be. And sometimes you question how that path went, but if you take any single slice out of it, you wouldn't be where you are today. And I always try and remember that. Um, so I did not know when I, going back 20 years ago, when I graduated from college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I had a marketing degree and, um, I I didn't want to work for a large company where I kind of got stuck doing one thing. And so I went to work for a group of plastic surgeons and actually um, managed the clinic and sold plastic surgery for five years, had so much fun, um, and then was kind of recruited into the legal field to do marketing for lawyers. And I thought, oh, it's kind of the same thing. Long story short, ended up actually managing the entire firm for nine years. So I was the marketing director and the executive director of a a firm um, that had about 30 attorneys. And then nine years later, I was recruited away from from that firm to go to another law firm um, and continue to serve in their executive director role. And it was a slightly smaller firm with about 20 attorneys. So I wore still all of the hats. Um, 
at the end of the day, what I have realized about my career path and being in business is that I don't love to do one thing. I love to do everything. I love to run around with my head chopped off doing 50 different things all day long. And because I have worked in professional services and been in that role plus for 20 years, um, I just have a really broad background in all aspects of business, everything from insurance to risk management to business development to HR. And along the journey, I, um, you know, about 10 years ago, thought I really kind of want to have my own company someday, but I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what that was. Kind of thought I maybe wanted to be a law firm consultant, went back and got my MBA, uh, wrote a book about 75% of the way through my book, writing about how to manage a law firm. I realized I did not want to do that for the rest of my life. Um, It was an experience that was, you know, a learning journey. And I appreciated my own self-analysis of what I really enjoy doing and not doing. And I love working for lawyers, but I didn't want to do it the rest of my life. So I kind of set that book that was in a draft form on the shelf and said, "Hmm, okay, I'll figure out what the next plan is someday. And uh, my journey went on. And um, for the next um, eight years, I've continued to manage uh, the firm that I'm in. And about two years ago, I decided and made the you know most difficult decision of my life that I needed to end my marriage. And I, as you said from the beginning, I have two girls. They were eight and 10 at the time. And it just was not um, a healthy situation for me any longer to be in. And so... Um, in the, that process, it, it, it was uh, kind of a harsh exit um, due to the circumstances, and I needed to leave the marital residence. I needed to walk away from all of that from my life and start my next chapter. And this was in 2020, and um, I left at the beginning of 2020. Had no idea what was going to come down the pike. Um, and honestly, um, you know, things happen for a reason. I was grateful to have not been in that situation, you know, quarantined during it um, in, in a marriage that wasn't good for me. Um, and so that summer was restorative in a lot of ways. And I ended up buying a home in August of 2020 and I started remodeling. It, it was a 50 year old house. And mm-hmm. my father was in construction um, all of his life, a carpenter, and we built spec homes as his side job when I was growing up. And I say we, because I didn't realize every day when he picked me up from school that I was helping just because I was there. And I learned so much. I did not know until way beyond college that not all women knew how to use power tools. They didn't even know how to use a hammer. They didn't know how to read a tape measure. And these were things that I just knew. And not only did I know, I owned the tools because uh, all the way along the line, you know, I was in college and I was like, well, I can't afford to pay somebody to fix this. So you can figure it out. I mean, we live in the world of YouTube where you can literally learn how to do anything you want to know online, including fix your toilet, fix whatever it is, Right. right? So I was not afraid when I bought this house that was a fixer upper because it was 50 years old to do the work. What I didn't know was how therapeutic that was going to be to my soul, inside and out, restorative to the house, restorative to me. And um, every night I would run the law firm all day long, you know, manage manage lawyers and run from, you know, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. or whatever. And mind you, this is during COVID. So it was really 24-7 because we were working from home. And so my computer was always on. I was always managing the law firm. But um, 
then I would take care of my kids, you know, um, after they got home from school or whatever. And then I would start to work on the house usually every night around eight o'clock at night. And I would work um, until two or three or four in the morning, depending on whatever I was working on. And then I only have my kids every other weekend. So weekends, I didn't have my kids. I would literally work 20 hour days. So I had about a total of about 1800 hours in a 10 month period of time on remodeling my house. And halfway through that period, it was in about January of 2021, I really realized that, um, so I'd been working hard on my home for four or five months. I, I knew how to do a lot going into it, but I learned a ton. And I just kept looking around at the tens of thousands of people that were out of work. Most of them were in the entertainment industry, hospitality, tourism, and so many of them were women. And so many of them had so many gifts they didn't know that they had. And I think that there's this intimidation about the construction space and trades that it's number one, a man's world and it's dirty and it's not something that women do and have been told to do or would be acceptable to do. And I just kept thinking, guys, this isn't hard. I mean, there are how many tens of thousands of immigrants that don't speak English, that don't even have a high school diploma that are doing this stuff. You ladies can figure this out. It is Mm -hmm. not that hard. And and why I feel so important and so passionate about it is, is because there is this, you talk about the poverty gap and this pay differential that is happening at such an early point with our path of, if you're not going to college, and if you are, that's a whole other story we'll talk about. But you know, non-college bound girls get get through high school, hopefully, and they get married and they have two or three kids and they get divorced. And now they're a single mom. And right off the bat, those women are going into professions or careers or jobs, whatever you want to call them, that are half the amount of pay as what their male counterparts are doing if they have you know, two nickels to say, I'm going to go drive a garbage truck. I'm going to go be a truck driver. I'm going to go um, into construction. I mean, any of those professions are right off the bat, at least twice of what you're going to go make. If you go be a parent in a school or, you know, work as a CNA or, you know, Mm -hmm. at the gap or whatever, you know? And so it just was like, no one has ever told women that they can do this and that they should do this. And there's a lot of layers to the complexity of this, but I really became passionate about, I wanted to change the world in that space, but I didn't know how to do it. Thought about starting a construction company thought about a remodeling company, thought about a training center, started doing a lot of research and then just kind of put it on the shelf. I, it, again, this was in January of 2021. I worked for a few more months on the house and it was in April that I realized that the inside of the house looked amazing. And now I had a problem with the outside and it didn't reflect the interior and I didn't have the money to recite it. I didn't have the time or the energy to repaint it. And so I thought, what can I do that can increase curb appeal, um, you know, with minimal, with minimal effort here. And I thought I'll start by repainting the garage door, repaint the front door and update the house numbers. So, um, I'm in the, the land of Etsy and Pinterest working on the house number, um, sign research. And I, I, you know, 
there's only so much you can do with house numbers. You know, you buy a plaque, you know, you, you know, you got the metal ones, you got some wood ones out there, but there's just only so much creativity. But I found one that had a little planter's box on it and it was really cute. And I thought, oh, wasn't that unique? And I thought, well, I live in Nebraska. What am I going to put in a little tiny planter's box that's actually going to grow? And I kind of talked myself out of the idea. I thought this is probably pretty stupid, but I have an entire shop in my garage right now. I've got extra wood. It's not going to cost me anything but an hour to go make this sign. So I did. And I, I, my sign got pretty cute. And then I thought, well, okay, now I got to fill the box. So I go to Michael's. So I'm standing in Michael's in the flower department and trying to figure out what to put in this. And I have to buy a whole bag of moss, even though I only need a little bit. And I had to buy three foam blocks, but I only needed one. And it was right before Easter. I needed to buy 24 tulips for, you know, three that I needed. So could have made 10 more signs. Right, right. But I get this thing, I get it home after I find my wire cutters and I get the whole thing put together and it's absolutely adorable. And send a picture of my mom and I'm like, isn't this cute? And she's like, oh my gosh, so cute. Hang it up. So then I realize that Easter's over in two weeks. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like now I have to do it all again. <laughs> and so I was gonna think, okay, I'm gonna go back to Michael's and I'm gonna have to do this every month. And I thought, I manage a lover. I'm not quite done remodeling my house. I, I I don't have time for this. And it was all at that moment that I realized I had a business idea on my hand. I could make, I could, I, I'm over buying signs, uh, you know, the materials for it. I know how to make this stuff. It's the creative side. I love to build businesses. And it was just like the light bulb went off. So I made a vertical version. I made a horizontal version. I made an interior version for the, um, you know, inside apartments and, and assisted living facilities. And I just ran with it. And I have had so much fun on this journey and being able to express my, my creativity. Um, and all the while, I have kept my why in mind. And my why is to... Um, give myself basically a vehicle to be able to create a platform and an audience to spread the message of getting more women in the trades um, while building a life and changing the one that I have and um, being a role model for my girls. And I'm just, I'm just having a blast. I'm loving life right now. Oh my gosh. I think that last bit just eloquently summed up the whole mission of the conscious entrepreneur who builds a business to serve a purpose and wants to, to create a life for themselves at the same time. And, and what I'm learning is that these um, business owners are very different than your traditional business owners, right? Because the purpose is different. Mm -hmm. The traditional business owner is in business to make money and they use what they need to do to make that happen. The conscious entrepreneur's purpose is to change the world. Yeah. You engage people in that process with them because they also know that they don't succeed on their own and to generate a profit because they understand that there's a energy exchange here, right? Yeah. So it's not just about always giving out, giving out, giving out. This isn't a charity. This is building a legitimate business, serving a legitimate purpose. Yeah. And, and your, your road to getting here, you just, again, you just described that so well, but can we go back and can I ask some questions on some of sure. those uh, sure. parts of your story? So, um, what, one part of your story that stood out to me was that story about you were deciding like, you know, I, I think I want to go into business for myself, but you didn't have your purpose yet. 
right? Right. So I, I want to go into business for myself. And honestly, you could have taken that path of the traditional entrepreneur and said, I have these skill sets where I can manage uh, professional service law firms r- extremely well. I can help others do that. You could make a boat ton of money doing mm-hmm. that. Right. Mm-hmm. That was one of, one of your options. Yep. And yet, even as you were doing the work it takes to, to set up that business, writing your book in the middle of it, you said no. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the hardest things that we have is knowing when to say no, that the path that we're going on is not serving us. It's not getting us where we want to go and having the courage to say no, because you had a lot invested yeah. up until that point. Did you not? So I did have a lot invested and I had to really kind of think through what did I want to do and spend the rest of my life and where, where did that look? And I did, I didn't, I didn't hate the field of law at all. I've been in for 20 years. I like working with lawyers, Um, but it wasn't my calling. It wasn't, it, it lacked the purpose because at the end of the day, managing lawyers, managing law firms, my job is to help make them more money, to increase the profitability of the law firm. That's it. I'm not helping clients. I am not serving any individual. I am just purely making more money for lawyers. And there just was something really big missing for me in that. And no, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but it wasn't that. And that not knowing was actually really frustrating to me for a long time. Yeah. I have explored so many avenues. I um, hired a wonderful executive coach um, during my MBA. My thesis was actually on executive coaching. Um, I interviewed uh, 74 um, coaches all over the world because it was for a company in market expansion considering going into South Africa. And um, of all of the coaches that I interviewed, and at the time when I started interviewing them, by the way, I didn't even know what an executive coach was. And sure. so I learned a ton on the journey and what the purpose was and, and how to fill that, you know, where, where did their void come? But I met this wonderful woman in Indianapolis, Sarah Robinson, and her husband was actually a lawyer. Um, she was high energy, you know, marathon runner. I just really connected with her right off the bat. And I said, you know, I think I could use some executive coaching. And so we started working on vision boards. Um, Honestly, that the first vision board that I did with her and the first one I'd ever done in my life, um, if I have to be perfectly honest, was what told me nine years ago that I was going to probably have to end my marriage in order to have the life that I wanted. Um, Nine years ago. Nine years ago. Yeah. And I didn't leave until two years ago, but I knew then that I had to make a choice. If I wanted that life, it wasn't going to happen in the situation that I was in. That was a hard, that was a hard moment. Um, but I didn't do anything with it. Uh, and, and that vision board ball, it was impactful. It didn't tell me what I wanted to do with my life. It just told me what I wanted it to look like kind of there was this purpose piece. So her and I went through a lot of, we went through my strengths. Um, we spent a lot of time in just all different areas of, you know, do I want to buy a franchise? Do I want to run a restaurant? Do I, what fills my bucket? You know, do I want to get back into plastic surgery? I mean, nothing felt right. Nothing felt right. The closest thing felt right was this law firm consulting thing. I write the book and then I just said, I don't want to do it. So I just set it all aside and I, I 
didn't touch the idea of running my own business again for years. Um, I was busy, had had you know raising my babies, um, not in a great marriage, and just was a little stuck in life. And in that, what is this going to look like? And you know, at the end of the day, um, the decision to to get divorced had nothing to do with ever starting my own company. I mean, that was sure. just at some point. I, Rachel Hollis had a podcast on a few weeks ago. Um, and it was called, uh, I don't know the episode number, but it said three signs you're, you know your relationship is over. And she spoke um, to a statement that said, at some point, you have to save yourself. You have given everything that you can give and you you have to make the choice in almost a survival sense of this is where I'm at. And that's where I got to that my, my career had helped preserve my self-confidence and my independence, but it, it wasn't going to last because I didn't yeah. want to do it forever and um, needed to make some interesting choices. So difficult, very difficult. But um, all of those things are for a reason. All of those things led me to where I am. And um, I wouldn't, wouldn't change any of it for the world. And it was like, when the, when, even when I got really close to figuring out that I wanted women in the trades and I, I knew that there was a piece to this, but I didn't know how to get there. I mean, it was like everything clicked when I created the sign, everything clicked. I could see the business. I could see the next five years. I could see 10 years. I could, I, I knew it all. It was, it was just, it was the goosebumps moment that I was like, I got this. Yes. Well, I really appreciate um, diving into this whole question about how do I get to purpose? Because I have a lot of conversations with clients and, you know, business partners and friends and those kinds of things where when we don't feel that purpose yet, when we're not, we, we haven't had that goosebump moment, there's a lot of sense of struggle with it. Like I, uh, mm-hmm. there's like, I have to find it, but I can't find it. And the harder I try to find it, the more it gets pushed away. One of the things I'm hearing in your story, and I don't know if if you would see it this way, but the way that I'm seeing it is, so you were, you know, you're following your path. You you hire this coach. You, you do this dream uh, board, this vision board, and you recognize this bit about your relationship. And it took some time for you to make the right decision for you with that relationship. But once you made that decision, look what has changed for you in two years. Right. All of that struggling about who am I? What do I want to do? How's this? How do I feel satisfied? How do I feel full and complete? Right. So do you think when you think back on it, like how much do you think the energy that you um, had to give to that relationship and that decision about what you wanted to do with that relationship? Did that keep you from really then being able to to know who your purpose, what your purpose was? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that we there's there's many of us who lose our identity in our marriage. I'm a people pleaser, um, and I want to make everybody around me happy at all cost and expense. And I am as guilty of this right now as ever because uh, the whole category of self care right now is not very high on the list, not as high as what it needs to be for me. I know that, but. Um, I think that 
the relationship component was, was huge because I was trying to make somebody happy every day. And it took me, well, it took me 15 years was the length of the relationship, but to realize that if that was an impossible, literally an impossible statement. You cannot make somebody happy if they're not happy with themselves. And it it just, it, it took me, and people say it, it, it but if you don't, it, it, until you get there in your own mind, you don't understand it, that it does not matter. It is not you. It is, it is them. And, you know, for me, um, really, it did come down to the children that um, I wanted to make sure that I was modeling a healthy relationship for my girls. And what does marriage look like in their life? What does a healthy relationship look like in their life? Quite frankly, I have no idea what it looks like in my own, but I know it didn't look like that. And so um, it was it was huge. Um, and then I think stepping outside of that and being able to kind of reclaim my own life and start figuring out who I am and what makes me tick and what makes me happy is significant. You know, coming back to to who I want to be is still a journey and process. You know, it really is. It's not a, not a, not a one and done, but I'm getting there. Right. I think that's a really important point. Like the, the, it's not a one and done. And I, I don't think we ever get done because I think if we're done, if we figured it all out, what is there left to do? Right. One of, I think that's one. that's, it's such a hard thing because one of um, my friends and I were having this discussion, you know, the hardest question that I have for myself is like, what makes me happy? What do, what does happiness yes. look like? And it seems like it should be an easy answer, and yet it's not. And one of the things that I've come back to is saying, no, I am happy. I am absolutely happy. I, I, I'm, I am enjoying the journey. You know, I don't know what the end looks like. There are certainly stresses. Um, we all have them. We're always going to have them. Um, but one of those thoughts was like, when's enough enough? And there was um, an interesting podcast I was listening to at the end of last year. And it was a story about a gal who made her million. And she had always in her mind said, when I make a million, I'll be happy, right? I'll be happy. Yeah. That's the definition of success for her. Right. And she made it and she went, and now what? I'm not happy. And so it was like going back to that, like, what is it? How do you get there? And I asked one of my friends who has in my mind, everything. I mean, she has the epitome of success. And I said, when is enough enough? Not, not in, not in derogatory way, just like, when is enough enough? When, when do you, when, what does it look like? And she said, never, you know, she said, when my dad stopped working, he died. She said, I will never stop. I will never stop that chase because otherwise it's like, what's, what, what is it for? And one of my other friends and I have had a lot of philosophical discussions about, you know, the the long-term trajectory of aging has changed, but not recognized by society as a whole yet. And in, you know, the, the linear path of life when we all died, when we were life expectancy was, you know, 50 or 60. 50s or 60s, yeah. 
it worked. You got, you went to school, you got married, you had your kids, you worked somewhere for 25 years, you retired and you died. Well, that was fine. You could be married to the same person for 20 or 25 years. Okay. But when we live now, well, easily to a hundred and beyond very quickly as our, you know, life expectancy is exponentially increasing, that linear path doesn't work anymore. And the idea of being done and retiring at 60 or 65 is completely arbitrary. And we, but, but I do think I've always said that by the time somebody turns 40, somewhat one of your listeners is probably going to be, have a strong opinion about what I'm going to say, but I've always, I hope they do 40. You've decided in your mind, if you're going to get old, fat and frumpy, or you're going to stay young and fun. And I see that over and over, like, you know, the whole excuse of, yeah, I had kids and life was busy. So it gave me permission to gain a hundred pounds and therefore not take care of myself and get tired in life and all of that. Right. Like that's baloney. Yes. It just is. It is in my head. It doesn't make sense, but people make choice. And, you know, for me, my choice has been okay, have the kids, but we're still moving. We're still going. Come on, let's go. And I mean, I remember I being on a treadmill with Lexi and her little, you know, bamboo thing on the front of me while I'm working on a phone call and she's six weeks old. Like that's what we were doing. We never stopped. And I just have that mentality about my life. I'm never stopping. I'm I'm not going to stop. I want to be that fun, young minded you know, woman, like my grandmother, who's 90, who still lives in her house. And she's driving all the old ladies in the neighborhood to their doctor's appointments. Yeah, oh my goodness. She's not yes. old. She's 90. They're yes. old, right? Right, right, anyway. right. No, I, again, I think you make a really good point in terms of you know, that 40 bit. Um, I know that was a turning point for me. Uh, and it's been the turning point for a lot of my clients. So somewhere in those early 40s, we women tend to start asking themselves these questions. Men might too. I just don't haven't worked with enough men to know that. But um, there there is that question: at Which way am I going to go here? Am I going to? Because oftentimes, up until that point, we have lived by default. We mm-hmm. followed whatever what the path that we thought we were supposed to follow that was set out for us that our parents expected us to do. You know, and then once we got in, you know, f- for a lot of us, the parents' expectation was go to college, get a job you know, so that you can support your family. So we we do all of those things. And then we get to that point around 40 and we say, oh, am I going to continue just to follow the path? In this case, that path of aging, where we start to get old in our 40s, in our 50s, in our 60s. And we start to, you know, fall apart by the time we get to our 70s and 80s. And I, I think a lot of that is not because our bodies are are designed to, to fall apart at those ages. I don't think it is. But I think that We've bought into the story of our our history, right? Our families, and said that that's true for us. And so, sure enough, it becomes true for us. We start getting aches and pains in our forties and our fifties, and and that's evidence, like, oh, you know, this is just how it's supposed to be. No, that's just the path that you're on. Yeah. And so you're right. There is another choice, but then what? What is that other choice? Because I think one of the things that kept us on that path to begin with is that every time we would try to be who we are, figure out who we are and what we wanted to do, we get pulled back into 
the, the stream, right? Yeah. We get pulled back into the expectations of our co- our friends, our families, all of that. And so to to say this is who I am and this is who I want to be, we put ourselves at risk with these yeah. family or these peer groups. Oh yeah. There's a lot at stake. Yeah. But to your point, right? If we don't take the time to figure out who am I? What is what is my contribution to this world? What are my gifts and talents that I'm sitting on that can be used to for somebody, for something? Yeah. Uh and I can feel good about doing it. I'm not yeah. doing it just because I that's my job and I happen to know how to do it. I'm doing it because this fulfills me. Yeah. One of the most um, powerful women that I heard last year, um, and I and I just, I mean, I love self-growth and self-development and all of those things. Um, so I've spent a lot of time learning um, in this last year for all of these reasons, everything about business, but me and just happiness. And But um, she's a finance specialist and she started out almost in a it almost felt like a sermon and I was just going thinking I'm listening like how do you manage your money responsibly and like all of a sudden I feel like I'm at church turns out her father actually was a preacher but um she said people she her her presentation was actually the difference between rich and wealth and um that you know there's there's multiple levels of wealth if you will and where you want to get to is where you have, where you're giving back because you have so much. And she said, you have a responsibility to God, to women, to, to mankind, to our world, to use your gifts and your talents, to, to, you know, use what you have to give back. And that there, you know, in my case, there are women waiting for me um, because I can change their life because I can tell them that they can go into a profession that they didn't know that they could do. And I can teach, um, you know, the, the, the construction industry and the trades how to be inclusive of women. I call it the three P's, you know, periods, pregnancy, and pumping. We have to address these three P's and talk about it. Or otherwise, we're not going to be able to include women. But we literally cannot divert the economic infrastructure crisis that we're going to have in this country over the course of the next 10 years with the baby boomers exiting the trades without either major immigration reform policies or incorporating women in this country into the trades. Right. you know, I, I know my preference on that. And so, um, but how do we do that? And I just feel like I'm in this position where I have been taught how to argue with male litigators for 20 years. I can go into a boardroom of a bunch of men on the construction site. I can go I, any of that. It doesn't bother me, you know? Um, but I feel like it's that obligation of I'm here to do it for women and use those gifts and talents that I have to help change the world and change my own life, right? Exactly, exactly. Thank you for sharing that. I was just thinking, you know, this this vision that you have of of bringing more women into the workspace in the trades, and in, in particular, and not just as 
the assistant, right? But but to take the lead in this, like there, there's there's no limitations here. The women that you are already serving, the women that you will serve, that wouldn't have happened if you didn't have the courage to ask yourself what do, what would make me happy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because like I think that's another reason why that's one of the arguments why we don't take the time to say, well, what would really make me happy is because the first thing that comes to mind is, well, that's really selfish. Right, you shouldn't be thinking about mm-hmm. what to make you happy. You should be thinking about about others. But I would say uh, you're a perfect example of if you don't figure out what you want first and what your gifts and your talents are, you wouldn't have been able to get to this whole mission that you're on now and helping mm-hmm. all of those. Mm-hmm. So yes, it ultimately is about what you can do for other people. But if you didn't start with yourself first, you would still be in that. You you might still be in that relationship. You might still be managing your office, or you might be in that consultancy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that some of this, I mean, it's, it's a leap of faith leading by trusting in a higher power that I'm going to figure it out. Cause I don't have a clue yet. I don't know. Yes. I know the purpose now I've, I've, I've yes. identified what's going to make me happy and it is serving others. And I know how in sense of getting women into the trades and changing our culture and our society and the, the DNI and the, the industry, et cetera. But the exact steps, I don't know yet. And it's okay. I'm walking this path. I have a hundred percent faith I'm supposed to be on it. And the people that I am meeting along the way that are helping me tell this story um, and and are already part of the movement because it's there. Um there, but it's but it's in pieces and it's not. It's not where it needs to be yet. And it's going to take more than me. It's going to take a journey and, um, you know, a a village to do this. But I know it's going to work. I know that it's going to make a difference. And, you know, I always think about, I guess, part of the purpose piece of it is that, you know, uh, life, life is fast, life is short. It's not a dress rehearsal. We get one shot at it, right? And so, um, you know, the day that my obituary is read, what do I want it to say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of, that's, I, I've always admired when you read some of those obituaries that are about, you know, we've had some clients, unfortunately, pass away in the last couple of years that have made tremendous impacts in manufacturing. They have impacted so many people's lives because they owned businesses and employed those people and provided for their families. And they didn't, you know, they knew their families and just like, I mean, we just read those stories and I'm like, yeah. I, I I want my obituary to say more than just survived by, you know, right. can be made to, you know, I, I, I wanted to say more. Yes. Yes. By the way, the um, individual that you, you were just speaking about the wealth yeah. conversation, is that Dr. Monica Organda, yeah. Ugando? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I just want the listeners to know that there is also a web, uh, uh, episode with Monica. I just recorded it yesterday. Uh, in fact, that. yeah, so it's going to be coming out around the same time. So I just wanted the listeners to know that um, uh, there's there's more on that. She's amazing. And she blows my mind. One of the most incredible human beings I've ever had the opportunity to engage with. Yes. And, and, and I'm not saying that lightly. I, I, I just don't know how else to define it. She's in. <laughs> She's incredible. She's yeah. <laughs> really, truly a gift gift. So yeah. Well, 
So Jennifer, thank you again for get, letting us uh, really l- examine your your path here and and look at how you came to your purpose and how you found your purpose. And and I really like uh, and appreciate the fact that you're saying it's not an end game. Like this isn't it. And I don't know what the next steps are going to be. And I want the listeners to know that that who also don't know what those next steps are that that's okay. All you have to do is take one step at a time. And I really have, I don't know if, if you would agree with this, but my experience has been that as long as I take that next step, the next step usually appears for me. Yeah, I'm finding that. I'm finding that it, it is just keep walking a little bit into the fire and walking through the fire and knowing that it's, it, it's okay. It's all providing. It's all going to be fine. It is. And, yeah. it, and it's that, um, my realization, because my fear has what's always held me back for sure. Um, in, in fear of failure and fear of taking risks. And I've been doing a ton of mindset work and, and, you know, I, quite frankly, that word just last year, it just kept hitting in front of me every single time I picked up something, every time I read something, every podcast episode, everything kept just saying mindset. I'm like, enough with the mindset. I don't want them. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Um, but I finally kind of started to figure it out. Like it really is huge. And, my realization um, over the course of just even the last few weeks was because they say you choose your mindset. Well, I agree. Um, and you choose to be happy every day and, and you choose how you respond to situations. And I'm really good at all of that. And I, I realize I'm not, ter- I'm not scared at all of a haunted house. It, it, they, it drives haunted house actors crazy because they can't scare me. I mentally <laughs> make the choice. I know this isn't real. I'm not going to be scared. I don't enjoy being scared. And the irony that I realized in that whole process a few weeks ago, I thought, I don't enjoy being scared. Why am I choosing fear? Why am I choosing to not trust the process? Why am I choosing that, that there could be bad things that could happen by me quitting my day job as a single mom? and chasing a dream. And I decided not to choose that choice anymore. Like I'm just, I'm just trusting. I'm just leaning. And um, I know that it's going to be okay. I know it's the right choice and it's okay that I don't know the outcome yet because if I did, it would ruin the story. I think you're right. I do. So let's transition. This has been a beautiful story up until now. Now I want to know more about your business and what you're doing with your business um, right now. What what's your current so, state? Because we know we don't know where it's going yet, right? Yeah, no, it's so it's so funny. Um, so I launched Entry Envy um October 1st, and it was really designed in mind to help busy women who wanted to identify their homes um, with house numbers or their last name or their monogram, the year they got married, the year they built their home, whatever it was, and provide simple, easy seasonal decor. So no matter what was happening on the other side of the door, the front porch looked like you had your shit together, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I think that in this country, it's not an I think, it's an I know, we are horrible about identifying our homes. And it's it's hard for delivery drivers. We are getting more and more deliveries. And even if you can see your house numbers, there is something really reassuring when you go knock on somebody's door, you leave a package. Oh, 
I see an M. I must be at the right house because their last name is, you know, right. Maduna or whatever it is, right? <laughs> right, right? You know, and so it's uh, it's nice that you can make these associations. House numbers are important, even from a medical personnel standpoint. God forbid you have to have sure. an M comes to your house. Let's make sure we can find it, right? Um, but I, when I built this whole business, I was really thinking that it was a direct-to-consumer online. You go and order your sign, and that's great. What I didn't see happening is that it's actually a perfect gift for realtors for closing gifts. I have had so many people say, oh my God, this is a great customer appreciation gift. I'm in the mortgage industry. People buying it for wedding gifts going, this is a perfect new, you know, unique, you know, couples gift, you know, to their new home, their new last name, their new house numbers, whatever. Um, And then I had women who would come by and say, oh my gosh, I work in an assisted living facility and our residents would just love this. Um, and then I had somebody who owned a condo and she said, we're remodeling the inside of the condo building. I'd love this. She's like, there's horribly boring apartment identification numbers that are out there. This way, all of our residents get, you know, the experience and they, you know, the hallways look better. And I'm like, holy moly, I have a yeah. whole different set of marketing on my right. hands that I didn't really know. But I'll tell you, I the path that is calling me goes back to purpose, and it's in the assisted living and independent living facilities because they, um, you know, if you are any anywhere familiar with the industry, again, number of baby boomers that are aging out, that industry sure. is going nowhere but up. Um, there's there there are places that are trying to differentiate themselves. We want these to be nice facilities that we're leaving our parents in. We want it to feel good and we need crafts for these people to do. And so one of the things that I'm going down the road while originally designed, this is like a single pick, super easy, two minutes, literally your three-year-old would love to help you do this. I'm going down the other path as well of saying, let me create a craft for all of your residents and let me bring all of the stuff. So we put one of these outside of every residence store, but they get to go to craft time once a month, pick out their bunny, pick out their moss, pick out their stuff, and then take it back to their door and put their craft together. And so um, I think it will be really, really fun. Um, so it's just one of the many venues. The, the marketing opportunities for this are endless. It's where I can easily get overwhelmed because I'm like, ah, where do I start first? But I'm having so much fun. So um, if anybody wants to learn more, they can go to entry-nv.com. That's my website. Go design their sign. Um, and I'm doing specials for realtors and, and um, commercial level people are getting uh, discounts for volume purchases. So um, there's more information out there on my website to contact me and my email address and everything like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I want... I want Entry Envy to bring joy to people's lives. They, I want them to feel good about their front porch. I want them to feel good when they walk to their door that's in their assisted living facility or whatever it is. Um, know that they are loved and cared about. Um, because I think at the end of the day, that's what a well-cared-for home sets. Somebody lives here. Somebody cares. Somebody's loved. And I just want to make that easy. And while that business is growing, it is going to support my real mission, which is getting women into the trades. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about where you're at with that right now. Do you, do you kind of have a 
any kind of a roadmap for that? Um, you know, it, again, that could be unfolding as we speak a, here. You, you know, it kind of, it, it, it actually kind of is. Um, I reconnected with my intern that I hired at my first law firm, uh, hired her 18 years ago. She, um, is absolutely amazing and owns a very, very large ad agency. And when she redesigned this agency, it's an old agency, 100 years old, um, but she redesigned it in the last five years to be extremely purpose-driven and marrying very traditional brands with um, nonprofits in sort of an unconventional way that makes the two provide purpose and power, honestly. And her and I had a discussion unbeknownst to kind of what my journey had been and what her journey had been. Um, And we have some interesting ideas and I have a meeting with her this afternoon again, and we're going to kind of talk through some of this. There is another organization in Omaha um, that was actually designed to help keep talent in Omaha and get more people going into manufacturing in the trades, not just younger people, but not just women. Um, And it's a good old boys club, if you will. Mm, Okay. Because that's the trades, right? Right. Um, Right. But I have a good meeting on the calendar to sort of say, okay, how do we tap into that? So you can do, when you talk about the wealth and you talk about Dr. Argando, Mm-hmm. Those the, the, there is the money behind this organization, and they want to do more with it. They they have a good purpose, but in my opinion, they need a woman to step into this space and and help represent. So I think that I don't know. Again, I don't know where it's all going, but I yeah. doors are opening. I think the the opportunities are vast. Um, and I just keep telling that story and I know the connections are going to happen and Definitely. it's going to work out exactly the way that it's supposed to. Um, there's several nonprofits that um, Dovetail Workwear is a clothing corporation geared for women in the trades. They are telling amazing stories about women working in the trades. I love that company. Um, okay. Generation T is powered by Lowe's. Um, they are a grassroots movement trying to get more um young people going into the trades. I mean, my whole thing is that we have done an amazing job over the course of the last, you know, 30 years telling every college, well, 50, 40 Mm -hmm. years, 50 years, you know, every young person graduating from high school, in order to be successful, you need to go to college. We are graduating more women from medical school and law school now than we are men. And we have been doing that for many years already. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but now we've created the situation where, um, and there's been a lot of, I mean, from the recession that happened in 2008, um, it, I don't know that we've ever in hundred percent recovered on the higher education side from the underemployment problem that is happening. Right with um, people having the education and then not really being employed at the level to use it. Then you combine this with everybody now has a bachelor's degree and is underemployed or can't get a job. So why don't you just go back and get your master's? Now they get out, they have a master's. Now they're even more underemployed and more in debt. And so we are graduating tens of thousands of students from college every year that have tens of thousands of dollars of debt without a plan. They don't. They didn't. They didn't know what they wanted to do. They don't. They don't want. They want to on the outside, 
And I'm just at this point where I'm saying, stop, we need to redefine our success in society that we have told every single young person that you need to go to college in order to be deemed successful. We've told every parent in order to be deemed successful as a parent, your kids need to go to college. And we're measuring every high school in America on their college admission rates. Stop. We have a broken issue and I'm not anti-higher education. Yeah, I have a master's degree. You have your doctorate. But I am without a plan. And we need to like, again, go back from that linear line path. You don't have to make a choice when you're 18 years old, what you're going to do with the rest of your life. So let's stop for just a minute. Let's explore who we are, what we want to do. Let's make a boatload of money for a few years in the trades. And by the way, get your education for free. Decide whether or not you want to be doing for that for the rest of your life. What's going to make you happy? Figure out your stuff, save some money, and then take the next step. So I am, you know, there's just, I think there's a lot of, a lot of movement in this space. Generation T is another company and and they're powered behind all the companies that sell manufacturing. I mean, this is a huge issue because if we don't have people in the trades to build homes, to build buildings, to install products, those companies can't sell their products. Right. And, you know, we already have a housing shortage. We know this. We have, I mean, there's not a single person in America that you can ask and say, oh, you know, how easy was it to hire an electrician to get that done? I mean, right? Like, you think it's hard now? You think it's expensive now? It's only going to get worse. So we really do have to address this problem. And how do we do it? Mike Rowe has done a ton of work in this space as well. Um, I mean, there is movement and it is going to take a village to get it done. And I just, I want to be part of it and do my part in whatever that is. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what my role is yet, but I'm coming. Right. I love it. I'm coming. <laughs> I am so grateful for for your passion for this purpose. And as as you were describing um, where you're at now with this and, and the the businesses and partners that you've already connected with, I'm thinking about who else. So for the listeners, like if you know of any high school counselors who need to hear this, if you you yourself have a passion for this particular um, purpose, reach out to Jennifer, see what's Please. going on. She, she knows a lot of people in this industry, in this space already. And, and it's that, it's that coming together, right? It's, this is a, your Jennifer right now is a magnet of pulling these resources together for this purpose. And if that is something you share, let that magnet pull you into her and connect with her and, and ex- let's, let's grow this. Let's blow this up. Um, so that we're not just talking about it, but we're, we're actually seeing results. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and also, uh, if you happen to be a realtor or in, in any other kind of business where you're talking about uh, client appreciation gifts, this is another beautiful gift uh, to honor the home that they just purchased. Or as you say, if, if they're living in assisted living or something to brighten up their day. We all know people who live in those uh, kinds of places where it would just be nice, right, to have something fresh. Uh, and, and one of the other things I heard you say is when you have that front door, it says somebody here cares and somebody here is loved. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that is a beautiful message. We all need to recognize and, and feel that from one another more often. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been so fun, Mary. 
It's been great. It has been delightful. Thank you. And Jen, and again, for the listeners, all of the um, contact information will be in the description below about how to uh, reach Jennifer and her website. So Jennifer, thank you again. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired, maybe a little more informed, or maybe just rested. Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.